Welcome. This is the Change Creator Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast Show. This is your host, Adam Force. And if you missed the last episode, it was with Jim Lawless, Overcoming Fear and Operating with Risk. Okay, so really good insights for Jim. He's got an incredible background and experience. Um, I think we get a lot of good nuggets out of that one. So if you missed it, go back, check it out. Uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy that one. Um, this week, we're going to be talking to someone by the name of Jacob Morgan. And he is a four-time best-selling author. He's a key keynote speaker, and a futurist um, who really digs into leadership, employee experience, and really and what the future of work looks like. Um, so he's the founder of a company called Future of Work University, and, and you know it's an online education and training platform. He's got all kinds of good stuff, and he's just been in the space for a long time. So he's got a lot of interesting insights that we wanted to get into about the future of work and, and hearing about uh, all the ideas. He did these interviews with, I think, like... 140 CEOs and just, you know, really dug into all these ideas from different people getting different perspectives. So there's a lot to learn and extract from it. And that's what we're going to dig into in this conversation. So hang tight and we're going to jump into that in just a minute. Uh, We've been having a lot of conversations with people uh, such as you who are listening, just entrepreneurs out there, um, you know, really trying to do something that matters to them. You know, we all have these moments in our life where we're trying to help others. We want to do something meaningful. Uh, You know, we spoke to someone recently and they said that, you know, they became the number one salesperson in their company and all this stuff was happening out of college that was super exciting. And, you know, he had all this money and he kept buying, oh, let me get the next car. Let me get the house. And it was, it was fun. Right. Um, And oddly enough, like over time, he just kept saying, no matter what he bought, you know, you've heard this before, right? He said, it just wasn't fulfilling. It just was like, there was this voice like something was missing um, and he wasn't really happy doing what he was doing and he had this other like incredible story just kind of like percolating in the back of his mind and he just started like once he had that epiphany he started living this other story and today he is a coach for uh, meditation um, and he's doing amazing work he actually joined our program the captivate method and he's been crushing it out of the gate since the first (laughs) first week with just like very light coaching and stuff he's already had seven big wins in a row um, and it's been really exciting but the most exciting part is that he turned things around started living his own story something that was meaningful to him something that was important to his life that he could share with others and help them have that same experience and we would love you know I'm sure that's something that you guys would like to do as well and what you're trying to do And that's what the Captivate Method is all about, is really harnessing the power of not just storytelling for sales stories, but also your primary core story that we put together. And it helps you make decisions, live according to your values so that you are waking up excited. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, we'd love to see you on the other side. But first, go to our website, changecreator.com. You'll see down there, you can get on the wait list for the Captivate Method. We're going to start sending you some information, and then you'll get a chance to join us for a master class where we'll show you how we how the program can help you and you can make a really good decision um, uh, if it's the right tribe for you right so check that out guys when you get a chance we got a, we got other fresh content on the site as well um, as always and without further ado we're going to dive into this conversation and see what Jacob has to say from all his experience about the future of work okay show me the heat I know you're gonna dig this hey Jacob welcome to the change creator podcast show how you doing today man 
I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, pretty impressive to have four uh, best-selling books. Uh, you know, everybody I talk to that writes books, I I find that it's a pretty painful process. So um, how do you get through it all? <laughs> well, how do you get through which part? Because there are a lot of different painful processes involved. <laughs> so it could be the writing, the selling part. Uh, true, so. true, true, true. I was focused on the actual writing of the book, and I'm always interested in that process. Um, but why don't you just give people a little background just about the four books and your experience running your own business and stuff like that, just so we know where you're coming from. Sure. Well, um, so I guess to the first part of the question, uh, let me quickly look at the, the book stuff. For me, honestly, writing the book piece has always been the easiest part. Uh, I mean, how, let's be honest, right? I mean, how hard is it to just sit down and write? Yeah, you know, you put on some music, you open up a Google Doc, and you write. Anybody can write. That, to me, is not the hard part. The hard part is actually selling the book. Uh, with a little bit of uh, seriously, I mean, with a little bit of discipline, there are people out there building rockets, curing disease, uh, you know, construct like there there are legitimate jobs out there that are hard to do. Writing a book is not hard. You're sitting in front of a keyboard. You can be in an air conditioned room, and you're you're just typing. Okay, you can have a glass of wine. The simple act of just getting words on paper is not hard. Now, of course, it's a little bit more challenging to write a good book, to write, you know, to pick a topic that hasn't been explored. But by and large, the hardest part of writing a book is to get people to buy the book, to, to sell the book. That, to me, is where the real hard stuff comes into play. Um, so I guess that, that answers that part of the question. And yeah. getting back to your, your other question about the four books, uh, they're on somewhat related but slightly different topics. So the first book I wrote was about collaboration in 2012. And it was basically how to use these digital technologies to get employees to work together. Uh, you know, things like uh, Workplace by Facebook, Salesforce Chatter, Yammer, like all these different platforms out there. How do we use them to get people to work together effectively? The book after that looked at what is the future of work going to look like? So how is leadership changing? How are employees changing? How are companies changing? Yeah. Uh, the book after that specifically looked at employee experience, which is creating a place where employees actually want to show up to work. And the last book, which just came out, um, is looking at what are the most crucial skills and mindsets that we need to possess to be successful in this new world of work. Uh, and that was based on interviewing 140 CEOs and surveying 14,000 employees. Wow, that's crazy. And how long did that take? Uh, well, the survey piece I did in partnership with LinkedIn. Um, so surveying people is not hard. Interviewing 140 CEOs is hard because you deal with legal teams, with PR teams, with rescheduling, with hosting, uh, with doing these interviews at weird hours of the night uh, because, you know, it's <laughs> international groups. Uh, and then after you do the interviews, you need to get permission to even be able to use the interviews in the book. Yeah. So that process probably took around a year. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty good chunk of time. Um, oh, and, yeah. And I know your pain of getting these people locked in and all the barriers and stuff like that. It is, it is cumbersome. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, fortunately, 
you know, when you have a couple books under your belt or a couple good endorsements, it becomes easier. I've also worked with some of these organizations by speaking at their conferences or, uh, you know, giving some advisory work to them. So some of these CEOs I had a good relationship with, but it's one of those things where once you get a couple of people who vouch for you and are willing to participate, it becomes easier to then get others because they see that their peers are involved. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, um, and and I know definitely when you have a couple under your belt, um, people won't see you as like a like oh you're just going to be someone that's here for a minute and gone. <laughs> so it's like you have some kind of consistency too. Yes, you absolutely need to have consistency. Um, I mean, it's you know kind of related to this, but it's one of the most important things of building a personal brand is having that that consistency that's there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you said you manage a team and have business. And so what's the focus there? I have a team of 10 people um, that I work with spread all over the world. And I've only met one of them ever uh, in person. The rest we, <laughs> we, we've we never met. And they help me with all sorts of things. So like you, I also create content. You know, I have a podcast. I have courses that I create. I have a lot of content that goes out on social media. Yeah. So I have a team of people that helps me with everything from uh, podcast editing to video editing to website design to image quotes to social media to writing to uh, advertising. I mean, you name it. I have somebody on my team who helps me with those things. So it's, uh, you know, I used to do this all myself and it was very overwhelming. So as the business grew, I was able to get some help. Yeah, that's the way to do it for sure because <laughs> those operations can get very uh, tedious after a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and quite honestly, I've, I'm really bad at all those things. <laughs> and that, that doesn't help either. <laughs> Makes it more no. stressful, right? Um, exactly. All important stuff though, and what I'm really curious about is the leadership uh, insights. I mean, so you talk to these 140 CEOs and... Um, I mean, I'm like, what stands out to you? Like, let, let's just get a real big picture view of the experience itself. You spoke to 140 CEOs. Tell me just about that experience and what uh, what came out of it for you personally. Well, um, I mean, of course, there's a lot that you learn because collectively, I mean, these are CEOs from companies like Best Buy, Audi, Verizon, Oracle, yeah. Pfizer. So collectively, these CEOs are responsible for the lives of millions of employees, many, many hundreds of billions, if not more dollars uh, collectively. So you're talking to some of the world's most powerful business leaders. And for me, it was just very interesting to get their perspectives on how they think about people and leadership and the challenges that they're faced with and just how they think from a from a macro level about their business and the future. Yeah. And that to me was very, very fascinating because I got very, very different responses. They have different personalities, different ways that they view things, yet they are all very, very successful at what they do. And it just really goes to show that there's no such thing as a single path to take to success. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I, I had some CEOs I interviewed who were like all about people first and, you know, you talk to them and they kind of sound like they're part monk, part philosopher, part, you know, just genuine caring person. <laughs> and then you have other CEOs that you talk to and they're like, no, no, no. The, the, the mission of the organization comes first, everything else comes second, but they're both running multi-billion dollar companies with hundreds of thousands of people. So yeah, yeah. yeah. That to me was very, very fascinating. 
Huh. And I wonder, did, did anything start? I guess, did you start seeing anything? It sounds like they have very different perspectives, yet they were still running very successful companies. So there was no, you weren't seeing a better or worse based on the philosophy that they had. Um, wait, say that again. I was seeing what? So you weren't seeing like a better result or worse result oh, okay. based on the philosophy that they had. Um, no, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, right? Because, uh, I suppose it would depend, depend, uh, depend on how you define better or worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I mean, it, it's hard to compare better or worse. All, all the companies are, are doing well, right, you know, most right. of them. So, you know, it's hard because you can't just look at profit or revenue because the companies are in different industries, they're different sizes, you know, there's a lot of differences going on. Um, but I can say that they are all doing well. I mean, they're all, you know, like Verizon, you know, I talked to Verizon and I also talked to the CEO of T-Mobile. So yeah. how do you compare, you know, which one's doing better? Well, Verizon is just genuinely a much bigger company. But they're doing well, and T-Mobile's also doing very well. Sure, sure. Well, I guess I'd be curious then, you know, like when it comes to the full, because I'm always interested in the philosophy of different leaders and how they operate and and what happens because of their philosophy, right? Because it should it should be the ethos, I guess, of the company in some sense. And so, if some are saying mission first, some are saying uh, people first. Well, I wonder what it means for their. I mean, they're all big companies, but I wonder what their like. Uh, employee happiness is. I wonder what customer satisfaction is like. Um, did you come across anything interesting along those lines of in variation with companies or anything? And when you mentioned the difference between those like perspectives, yet they both have big companies, it's like that kind of like triggered me in a sense. Like, oh, that's that's really interesting. You know, that it's not making a difference at some level. Yeah, no, I didn't look at things like customer satisfaction or employee satisfaction. I mean, really, the whole point of the book and the interviews was to understand um, how is the world of leadership changing and what do we as individuals and as organizations need to do to make sure that we have the right leaders in place over the next decade. So I would ask them things like, what are the greatest challenges that you're that you believe are going to um come along over the next decade? What are the biggest trends you're paying attention to? Uh, what are the most important skills and mindsets that you think we need to have to be successful over yeah, the next yeah. decade? So stuff like that. And so I look for these common responses, like what is it that the, that the CEOs keep pointing out and keep uh, identifying? And that's really what I made the book about. What are these key things that these CEOs keep bringing up? That makes sense. I love that. And, and so what were some of the interesting thoughts on uh, the mindsets and stuff that they believe are required as we move forward in the future. So we can look at it into a couple different areas. You let me know which one is most interesting to you. Um, so I can talk about a couple different things. One is what are the greatest challenges for future leaders? What are the biggest trends shaping leadership? What are the most important mindsets that future leaders need to have? Uh, what are the most important skills, things that we actually need to be able to know how to do as, as leaders and as individuals? So I can talk about any one of those. You let me know which one's most interesting to you. I'm interested in two of those, trends and mindsets. 
Okay, cool. So the biggest trends, and this is around what is going to be most disruptive for us as individuals and organizations as far as how we need to change the way that we lead um, and run our businesses. And this could be whether these are big businesses, small businesses, whether you're an entrepreneur, you know, none of these things play a role here. This is something that's relevant for everyone. And so some of the biggest trends that were identified were, um, so first around technology, automation, artificial intelligence. That was a massive yeah. trend. Yeah. Another one identified was around changing demographics, the changing nature of talent, uh, just the actual physical workforce, what we care about, what we value, our expectations of work. Uh, the pace of change was another big trend, just how quickly things are changing in general, um, in, in technology and business, just all across the board. Yeah. Globalization was another big trend, which basically means that the barriers to doing business anywhere in the world are decreasing and crumbling. Um, another one was around a big shift towards purpose and meaning. So that's something that a lot of people are asking about. And again, this is true whether you have a small business or a big company. People wanna know, you know, purpose, meaning, what, how am I gonna make an impact and make a difference? And another one was really around ethics and transparency, just being open and honest and upfront around the organization and, and what it stands for and that you're doing the right thing. So those were some big trends that leaders need to pay attention to as far as how they run and lead businesses. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. And I love, obviously, they talk about the purpose and meaning. There's definitely been a pretty big shift in that space. Um, for big and small companies, you know, people want to know, you know, everyone always would say it's all about the customer and they want to know what's in it for me. Um, but I think more and more today we're seeing, well, I want to know what's in it for me, but I also want to know what's in it for you, <laughs> right? Like, what yeah. do you stand for? Like, what are you doing? Um, and it's nice to hear that some of these bigger CEOs are acknowledging that shift um, towards that. And did they talk about things that they see, um, larger corporations are doing in order to lean into purpose and meaning is anything come out of there well so there are a few things that i think are important for people to pay attention to um the first is that purpose and meaning are not the same thing although they oftentimes get used um together and i think it's very very important for for us to differentiate the difference between purpose and meaning purpose is more along the lines of do you know what you are doing at the company like, you know, what do you get hired for? What is, what is your job? What is it that, you know, what are the outcomes that are expected of you? That's your purpose, right? Yeah. That your, your, your usefulness, your, your why you are at the company. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that more people usually have some clarity on, right? I mean, if you get hired in marketing or sales, you know that your job is to close deals. Um, you know, maybe you hear customer stories about how you've impacted or changed their lives. If you are designing code, for example, um, your purpose is to create great products uh, that make the lives of your customers easier, maybe easier to transact, send money to friends and family, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, your purpose yeah. is basically why you're at the company. Yeah. Meaning, on the other hand, is very subjective and it is what you personally get out of something. So if I look at myself as, as an example, my purpose is to provide educational content on leadership, the future of work and employee experience. You know, and I do that through a lot of different ways, uh, speaking, books, content, et cetera. 
Um, so that's, that's my purpose. That's why I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. But it's not the meaning that I get out of it. The meaning that I get out of it is to build relationships with people. It's to work on things that I'm passionate about. It's to be able to shape my own career path. It's to be able to spend time um, with friends and family members, right? Shaping kind of the life that I want to be able to live, right? That's the meaning that I personally get out of it. Yeah. So meaning and purpose are not the same thing. Um, so for example, if you're in sales, you, as I mentioned, your purpose might be to, uh, to close deals, bring in revenue, stuff like that. But the meaning might be that you, again, you build these relationships, you create meaningful connections, you get meaning from tough challenges, you get meaning, right? It's, it's very, very subjective. And I, I really think that organizations, small and large, need to take a step back and understand that when they talk about these things, they're not the same. So one is understanding what you do. And another one is what you personally get out of what it is that you're doing. Um, so that's kind of the key distinction that I, that I learned from all of this. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's good to kind of be clear on people's definitions for these types of things and how they're, how they're referencing them. And I'd be curious, um, how did you, based on these conversations around leadership and we're here, we are talking about different trends and things. Um, Anything that you feel was very applicable, like if you were starting a new business today, were there takeaways that you feel would be smart to um, to apply to your business? Yes. So quite a few. Um, so first is if you were starting a, and is this if you're starting a business and you're by yourself or if you have a small team? Um, I would probably say most people end up starting by themselves. So let's do that. Okay. So if you're starting off by yourself, I think probably the most important thing for you as an individual is to think about the skills and mindsets that a lot of these CEOs identified. And I'll give you some of the most crucial ones. Um, so as far as a mindset, some of the mindsets go, um, if you're starting off on your own, one of the most crucial mindsets that you can have is I, I call it the mindset of the explorer is you need to have curiosity. You need to have a growth mindset. You need to be agile and nimble in your thinking. So if you are a solopreneur or an entrepreneur and you sort of assume that you're going to have one path and that's going to be it and whatever you know, you know, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, you know, I'll give you a very classic example. When I went off on my own, I was very good at uh, the marketing stuff. Yeah. And so I thought that if I'm good at something that I should be able to be able to generate a business out of it. But what you don't know when you become an entrepreneur is that there's a lot of stuff outside of your comfort zone that you need to learn how to do. <laughs> you need to learn how to create proposals, how to create contracts. You need to um, build a website. You need to start to build a personal brand for yourself. You need to learn about paying quarterly taxes. You need to learn about all this stuff that is beyond anything to do with your core skill set. Yeah. And yeah. so you need to have that mindset of being able to learn about new things that are outside of your wheelhouse. I think that's very, very important. Sure, sure. Um, another one I think that is very important as far as the mindset goes is this concept of lifelong learning. So I have a, a sort of a personal, I don't know if you would call it a, a policy, but as a personal goal that I do for myself every year. And that is each year I do something that I didn't do the year before. And this is part of my way of doing perpetual or lifelong learning. So for example, 
when I first went off on my own, I, I had a blog. You know, I had a social media presence. And then each year I started to do something new. Uh, one year I created a podcast. One year I created a video series. Another year I started to create online courses, right? So each year I do something big that I didn't do the year before. And it forces me to do a few things. A, I learn about something completely new. And B, at the same time, I'm also growing and expanding my business. So you need to have that mindset of being a perpetual learner and having that bit of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another important thing that I think is essential is having humility and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you assume that you are the smartest person out there, that you know everything, people are not going to want to work with you. <laughs> Um, you're going to lose deals, you know, and, and I've experienced this as well when I first started out. So you need to have that bit of humility and vulnerability. I think that's a very, very important mindset for you to have. Um, so I think those are some of the most essential ones and maybe one more, just embrace the technology aspect. Uh, you know, there are some people out there who assume that you don't need technology to be, to be successful in what you're doing, but you need these, these new tools that are out there, right? They're efficient. They help you. Uh, so don't be scared of technology. Use it as a way to grow your business and to spend time doing things that you need to do instead of, you know, drone work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's true. And the vulnerability factor is pretty big. Um, putting yourself out there and not being afraid to ask questions. That I mean, I had somebody in our membership, uh, the Captive and Method, they were like, you know, I know this is a really stupid question. And I feel really dumb asking. And it was 100% a smart question, very specific. But they're afraid to expose certain things that they don't know about. Like, oh, I have to be a certain, you know, level entrepreneur and otherwise I'll look stupid, but, um, being vulnerable and telling your stories and asking the right questions, I think is just so important to people's progress. So I, I love that you called that out and that stood out yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is again, one of the most important mindsets that these CEOs identified, uh, because you need to be able to show, um, and it's not weakness, right? I mean, you need to be able to show that you are, vulnerable, that you are human, that you're not some kind of a robot, uh, because right. nobody, nobody wants to work with or for those types of people. So I think now we're really starting to see that humility and vulnerability is much more, more of a, of a strength than a weakness. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple skills. Can I touch on some skills that I think are important? Of course. Yeah, sure. So probably the, one of the most important skills for you as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, and this again was identified by these CEOs for leaders, but also relevant for just us as humans, is emotional intelligence. Specifically, uh, empathy and self-awareness. Self-awareness is crucial because as an entrepreneur, you need to understand what are you good at, what are you not good at, what burns you out versus what motivates you and excites you and gives you energy. If you don't know these things, you're going to have a very hard time um, growing and succeeding. And also empathy, right? If you are selling to a client, you need to be you need to be able to see things from their perspective so that you can negotiate deals. So the emotional intelligence piece around just knowing yourself um, and also being able to take the perspective of other people, I think, is really really important. Um, and maybe the other, one other really crucial skill here, um, and this has been a timeless skill, but also one that's changing the most is around listening and communication. Um, 
If you ask any leader what's one of the most important skills, they're always going to say listening and communication. So this isn't new, but think about how this is changing now. Look at all the different tools we have at our disposal, all the different channels that we're using. I mean, me personally, I'm trying to communicate on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I'm using audio. I'm using video. I'm using image codes. Like I'm communicating <laughs> in so many different ways. Yeah. And so as an individual building a business, you need to make sure that you can get your message across regardless of the channel that you're using. And the listening piece is also crucial because when you, again, are negotiating a deal, um, and by the way, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Hearing is the unconscious act of letting sound enter your ear. It doesn't require no attention, no focus, nothing. Listening is conscious. It requires effort. It's looking at, you know, paying attention to your body language if you're in person, asking follow-up questions, making it feel like a collaborative discussion. This is crucial to understand what it is that your customers want. Um, to be able to, you know, create a product or service that they're looking for, to create trust and psychological safety to be able to get deals to close. So this is really essential um, if you're an entrepreneur or solopreneur. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I mean, you know, building trust today is so important and being able to communicate and empathize, all these characteristics. I mean, I, I literally wrote down self-awareness and empathy, and we talk about them a lot, um, mostly empathy, especially today, right? So you have to, as, as entrepreneurs, we're problem solvers. So we have to empathize with our customer and really get in and become part of that conversation going on in their head so that we can relate to them and connect them and best serve them. But the thing that I don't, and, and you know, and that's even more important to with the pandemic right because they have a new yeah. set, they have a whole new set of problems and everybody's panicking like well i don't want to sell during the pandemic and and we're like no you definitely want to because this is how you help people but you need to empathize towards their needs now and, and you might have to make some adjustments right oh for sure yeah and i mean i have lots of stories of all of these different types of things and how i've lost <laughs> big deals for projects from not doing these things um, so, I mean, I don't know how much time we have left, but I'm, I'm also happy to share lots of stories of, of what happens when you, you don't do some of these things. Yeah, we're all about storytelling here. That's our whole program, the Captivate Method. So let's hear a story about uh, one of these examples that demonstrates um, this type of value that when it's missed or skill when it's missed. Yeah, so there was, um, one, I mean, I, I won't name the organization. So I, I mentioned that one of the things that I do a lot of is I give a lot of talks. You know, usually not during pandemic time, obviously, I do around, you know, 40, maybe 50 talks a year. And uh, there was one organization I was working with, a very, very large company, hundreds of thousands of people. I did a series of events for them. They loved it, got great endorsements, wonderful reviews. And then another division of this organization in another country was like, hey, you know, we, we want to talk to you about our event because we hear um, that you did a good job for our United States based counterparts and, and we want to talk to you. Yeah. And so I jumped on the phone with them kind of thinking, um, you know, maybe it was a little bit arrogant. Maybe it was a little bit just like not wanting to put the time or the effort or the energy. I don't know what it was, but I was I just kind of assumed that the deal was going to be closed because I had these great reviews. And so I get on the phone with the CEO and, and with a couple other people. And, uh, you know, I charge tens of thousands of dollars for speaking engagements. And so we get on the phone with them, you know, we do the call and then I find out that they didn't book me. And I was totally shocked. 
And I asked somebody that I knew at the company, I'm like, what, what's the deal? How could they not have given me this project? And they said, well, you know, on the phone, you just, you didn't sound the same way that you do in your videos or in your talks. You just sounded a little bit tired or bored and you didn't have that same energy. And it really just sunk in my, I, I, it, I was in Hawaii vacation with my wife at the time and I, and I was just like, I don't know. I was just pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because you think something is going to be a done deal and, and then you find out that you lose it. And it's because I didn't have that humility. I didn't, I didn't go into this thinking that this was a new project, a new deal that I needed to earn the business, that I needed to be on my game, that I needed to be sharp. I needed to sound excited. Like I just thought that it was going to be a done deal. And because I let my guard down for a little bit, I lost this massive, massive project. Right. And, you know, that was a very, very important lesson for me. Um, And this has happened time and time again. Right. I mean, as a solopreneur, one of the things that you need to learn, um, as I mentioned, self-awareness and and even not taking things personally. Like there have been other times where I would um, organizations would reach out to me. And they would want these big proposals, you know, I'd, and I'd send it to them, you know, $150,000 proposal. And this was, you know, many years ago. Yeah. And uh, they tell me, oh, yeah, it's done deal. We're going to move ahead. And I'm already telling my wife, like, holy shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this show, by the way. If not, sure. I apologize. Why not? Um, so I'm telling my wife, like, oh, my God, you know, I got this huge deal, this huge project. And uh, but the contract wasn't officially signed. And, you know, I follow up with them. No response follow up with them again, no response. A week later, they're like, oh yeah, you know, the person in charge of marketing left, um, this whole project is on hold. And I almost lost my, oh my God. freaking mind, right? Um, so this is where this concept of self-awareness and managing your emotions comes into play. And one of the things that I always talk about um, when I talk to entrepreneurs is you have to be able to manage your emotions. Because as an entrepreneur, you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. And when you have highs, for example, let's say you have a quarter where you make a lot of money. It's very tempting for you to say, oh, my God, I made a ton of money. I'm going to spend it and I'm going to go get a car or, you know, you're going to go do something nuts. And then you spend the money that you made and then the following quarter is not good. And you yeah. don't have the the money that you need. And. The flip side, the the other side of this is also true. You might have a quarter or a couple of months, for example, for me right now with the pandemic, totally sucks. All my speaking gigs got canceled or postponed. Um, My revenue like plummeted completely, right? And so you also need to be able to manage your emotions when things are not going well. Right. Not to panic, not to freak out, not to think that, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So managing your emotions means that when things are going well, you know, maybe take yourself out to a nice dinner, right? Uh, you know, don't go nuts. And when things are not going well, you also don't panic and say you need to close up shop. But you need to just pay attention to what's going on, understand that business is oftentimes cyclical. This is why the self-awareness comes into play. How do you react when things are going well? And how do you react and respond when things are not going well? Because it's very important to be you know, kind of like level-headed and cool-headed during times of ups and downs. Um, so I, you know, I have lots of these types of experiences and stories of losing massive projects and big deals and people who have ignored emails after wanting these massive projects. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's going to happen. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. It happens all the time, right? So it's just part of the process and I guess the learning curve. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, and I was talking about this, with my, we have a, a podcast called BYOB podcast that we just started where we share some of our entrepreneurial um, successes and failures. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a week ago we were talking about just um, we have a Google sheet where we keep track of, and my wife is also a speaker, where we keep track of how many requests we get for projects versus how many of them actually come through. <laughs> and I was looking at my Google sheet, and this was over the past, I don't know, maybe three years or so. I have around 700 in the no column. Okay, 700 projects that are in the no column, which is massive amount. Yeah, it's a lot. So people, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, you need to be aware that you are likely going to get told no far more than you get told yes. And that's okay. It's how you respond to those no's and how you make and take advantage of those yeses that's ultimately going to determine the success and the failure that you have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I love that because one of the the biggest lessons we've learned as entrepreneur from our mentors is um, all entrepreneurs, as we're in, you know, we're learning these things, we're running our businesses, we all come across the same challenges. The only difference is how one entrepreneur versus another responds to those challenges. And I think you're kind of getting to that as well. And the way we respond, it could be emotionally with panic, doubt, and all those types of feelings, which creates terrible decision-making. Or you could be the person who stays calm, diagnoses the problem, and takes the next step, right? So it really comes down to how do we respond. So you can look at this list of 700. How do you respond to that? Um, you know, so to me, that's like, great. That's 700 that I reached out, which how many do you get? Like, there's a, it's a number, everything becomes this like numbers game if you're patient and you're smart about what you're doing, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's okay to be upset and it's okay to be frustrated, um, but you can't take things personally, right? So exactly. Like I mentioned the one project that I had where I thought it was going to come through for like 150,000 and they bailed, you know, you can't respond to that email and say, you know, I I was counting on this, like F you, (laughs) like you prom, like you can't do that. No, no. So instead you just got to respond back and say, Hey, you know, you know, no worries. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll get a chance to work in the future. Right. That's that's how you have to respond. And same thing when I lost that speaking gig that I thought I was a shoe in for. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to respond and say, what are you nuts? Like, you know, the U.S. side of your business is way bigger. And your CEO there gave me a wonderful quote. Like, how could you like you're not going to say that stuff? No, instead, I- <laughs> you just have to say, you know what? I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. And hopefully we get a chance to work together again in the future. That's it. I mean, that's a hundred percent it, right? So yeah, it's a relationship business. And part of the response too is not just like, okay, I'm responding and I'm getting back. It's also your response as an entrepreneur to say, you could be crushed by this and say, oh my God, like they don't want me to talk. Like maybe I'm not good enough. Like you can start having that response where you start, you know, pulling yourself back from this idea that you're a great speaker. It could, it could distill doubt in your mind. So like you don't want to respond that way either, where now the next steps you take are going to be like to let's do less speaking engagements. Let's do this other stuff. And you start changing your business model. And you know what I mean? Like there's that kind of emotional response that will, will can deteriorate what you're doing because now you don't believe in yourself as much or something. 
Yeah, that is the the classic imposter syndrome yes, scenario. Yes, yes. And everybody's had to deal with it. Um, I've had to deal with it many times. You know, as a speaker, when you get on a stage, uh, it's something that you might experience more so than others because you're in front of hundreds, you know, thousands of people sometimes. And I remember some of the very first talks that I gave. I oftentimes, you know, I had to deal with imposter syndrome. Um, and sometimes you still do. And, you know, I've come up with, I don't know how much of this you want me to share, but I have, uh, over the years, been able to put together kind of a series of, I guess you can call them steps and strategies that have allowed me to overcome this. I mean, I'm happy to share them if you want to get into it. Um, I can't go too deep because we're already at 35 minutes here for this particular Yeah, that's episode. what I think. <laughs> um, but I, I appreciate it. If there's things we want to maybe highlight, we can, if you want to share them over, we can put them in the show notes for people to have. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to wrap this one up. Um, I've been meaning to, but I didn't want to interrupt our flow. Um, but I do want to give you a chance, Jacob, to just give a shout out. How do people learn more about what you're doing, like your books and stuff like that? Like where, where can they connect with you? I'm super easy to find. My website is thefutureorganization.com. And then you'll find a link to my LinkedIn profile where I've been sharing a lot of articles as part of my LinkedIn newsletter. And uh, very recently we put up, uh, I did a video um, where I talk about what these skills and mindsets are. So if anybody's interested in learning all of them, you can go to futureleadermasterclass.com and then you can watch the full, I think it's like 50 or 60 minutes um, where I talk about all of these in more detail. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jacob. Really appreciate all your insights and the work that you're doing. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 